welcome to the WLEI podcast. I'm executive producer Josh Raposo. Once you've been bitten by the lean bug, you start to see waste everywhere. And not just where you work. You see it in grocery stores and, and like airports and uh, even in restaurants. Now there's a movement to change everything about the way traditional restaurants work. Uh, from kitchen to the host stand, or I don't know, maybe I should just say in this case, from port to plate. Uh, Legal Seafoods was founded in 1950 as a seafood market. And in 1968, that seafood market opened up a small restaurant right next door. And since then, they've grown to over 30 restaurants. And each location is very, very unique, uh, which has really great benefits, but it also has some pretty um, some big challenges. For the past four years, Legal Seafoods has been working with LEI to change the way restaurants have worked for over decades. And it's having a huge impact. On today's show, Legal Seafoods executive chef Rich Valente and LEI senior coach Josh Howell have joined me here in the studio to talk a bit more about changing the way restaurants function. Josh, why don't you take it from here? So, Rich, we've uh, been working uh, with a a variety of the restaurants uh, that are Legal Seafoods restaurants. And recently, we uh, you kind of corralled a team to go into one restaurant in particular uh, called Legal Crossing mm-hmm. uh, for uh, what 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 you guys are calling a, a multi-day like Kaizen event over the course of three days. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, Legal Crossing as a restaurant, maybe what makes it unique uh, amongst the other Legal Seafoods restaurants, sure. and then um, kind of what we what 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 went down there yeah, over the course so of a couple of days. A lot of people understand uh, legal seafoods, the traditional legal seafoods, and over the past uh, four years, we've really began to expand to different concepts within the legal seafoods brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's legal oysteria, there's the harborside location, there's mm. the sea bars, and one of the one of the different concepts that um, is, is fairly new, it's in downtown crossing, is called legal crossing. And it is a more urban restaurant. Um, it is influenced by the neighborhood downtown crossing, which mm-hmm. if you think about that, it's uh, uh, right on the edge of Chinatown, which clearly influences the menu. So it mm-hmm. has a uh, Asian slant to it. Mm. And not only that, but um, <clears throat> the difference between that and the traditional legal seafoods is that there are a lot of um, small plates. So your dining experience could be different. You could uh, basically order a lot of plates for the table, or you could have the traditional entree if you want. Sort of like a tapas style. It could be similar to that, yes. Are there any other legal seafoods that have that menu structure, or is this unique to Legal Crossing? Unique to to Legal Crossing. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's fairly new. It's um, uh, about two years old now, and it is in downtown Crossing. And because of that, it's across from the theater. And so. The Boston Opera House, right? Yes. And one of the challenges that they're faced with is is typical of a restaurant that's close to a theater or uh, any venue where where a lot of people want to come in. They get nervous uh, because they come in before the show, and then they want to all leave and and exit at the same time. So everyone comes in at the same time, and everyone leaves at the same time. And And that's a busy opera house too, right? I mean, there's, there's a show there essentially every night. Yeah. Um, almost always starts at seven thirty weeknights <laughs> exactly. anyway. Yeah. Um, set your clock by it. So so everyone comes in at uh six and needs to get out by seven fifteen. Mm-hmm. And um if you can imagine what that does to not only the service of it, but also the kitchen. It's just this mad rush as we call in the industry, you know, you get flat sat. 
Mm. And um, it's almost humanly impossible to <laughs> handle that type of thing. So everybody shows up at the same time. We got to seat everybody at the same time. They're all going to place their drink orders at the same time. They're going to place their food orders at the same time. Yeah. And that just wave, in, 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 a, in a way, uh, sort of washes over the restaurant. Sure. And inevitably, something gets missed. I mean, if you can think of a restaurant and, and all of the different points of interaction, from uh, when a guest walks through the door hmm. to... Uh, the host stand or the hostess taking care of them to someone getting their order like even not just with the guests but also internally uh, between staff members everything has to go perfectly and if it doesn't it, and it's not in sync mm. it starts to create breakdown and so when someone gets rushed like that inevitably something gets missed mm. uh, a guest doesn't get what they want mm-hmm. um, you know things don't get cooked correctly or if Within that, there has to be something that's redone. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't cooked to someone's liking, that can really um, alter the flow of the restaurant. And so that's kind of how, I, my understanding, that that's how the the three days were sort of structured, right? So the, the team uh, kind of laid out um, an image or their understanding of what that kind of ideal guest experience looks like. Um, and from there... Uh, what, what did what did you guys do? Yeah, so <clears throat> these Kaizen events are interesting because it's a really intense three days, which I, I enjoy, um, which is very different than the restaurant business. Usually it's a, you know, we kind of go by and observe and then leave and don't like, spend It's like in much. the margins. Yeah, <laughs> so it's not <laughs> as much of a deep dive, I guess, if you will. When we mm-hmm. have time, we, we, we might, might make an improvement. Sure. Who knows a lot of time or not? Yeah, kind of a little bit of treading water. And so it's a lot, it's a fast thinking game in, mm. in the restaurant business. It's very reactionary. And what I like about these Kaizen events is that it's, um, you take the time to really dig in and understand what problems are we trying to solve. And in this case, um, from this, on the surface, you're like, well, that's the way that the, the restaurant business works is that people rush you and you try to do the best you can and they leave. Mm-hmm. And we just do the best you can. And we took a different approach this time. Mm. And we said, you know, let's really begin to analyze um, where the breakdown happens. And even before that, um, let's really look at what we can control and in the guest experience with the guest in mind, right? Mm. And so we began to break that down. And that's not really necessarily easy to do. And one of the biggest challenges for anyone is that what problems are you really trying to solve? That's hard because we always end up with problems that maybe don't really reflect on what the guest really wants. And so if you really think about it, there's about five to seven things that that a guest really wants in the the raw sense, right? They, Hmm. They come in the door and like anybody, you want to be greeted, you want to be welcomed. And then if you really think it through, what does everyone want after they come through the door? They want to have a seat. I want to be sat at the bar. I want to be sat at the table. And after that, I want something to drink, whether it's water, whether it's iced tea, whether it's a drink. And after that... An IPA. IPA for some <laughs> of us. A uh, cocktail for others. That's right. Um, and, then, and then someone wants something to eat. Mm-hmm. It's in, in the simplest form, that's what they want. And then that's after it. that, they want to pay, and they want to go on. So with that on, inspiration... On, on their schedule, really, right? Yes. I mean, 
Um, in a timely manner. They timely want manner from their perspective. <clears throat> with high quality. Hmm. And so as we start thinking that through in that Ross form, um, what does it look like and how can we influence the things that we can control and provide the highest level of hospitality, the highest level of quality, mm -hmm. and how do we understand that? You know, from a high level, that's where we started. And from there, through some of our learnings of, uh, that have been introduced to us from, from you know, lean coaching and, and reading and understanding is that we realize that there is a tact, there are cycle times, there are lead times, and we have to really understand what those are. And so what's the sequence that happens? Who's involved in that sequence? What's the cycle time of those sequences? What's the tack time? And so you, you literally can figure out how often people come in, how, how long they stay, how quickly uh, you have to seat a person, how many mm -hmm. employees you need to service them. And this isn't so easy to do, but within the three days, you can come away with a, a model to begin to understand where you need to begin to measure, where you need to begin to focus your work, and what you can control and can't control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I hear you describing um, <clears throat> this sort of uh, most basic relationship. You've got uh, customers, uh, or what Legal Seafoods refers to as guests. You've got guests arriving uh, in the restaurant, and this Legal Crossing one is pretty unique. They all sort of arrive at the same time, um, which is unusual. Maybe it's more staggered in, in most restaurant scenarios mm -hmm. um, and from the guest perspective then there's just a few fundamental uh, things that they really want I mean there's some anxiety when they walk in they want to have that anxiety put to rest uh, know that they're being taken care of they have somewhere to sit right. they want to drink something they want to eat something and they're going to tell us exactly what that is um, but for that experience then there's uh, there's a lot of uh, work to be done yes um, and in, in a restaurant business uh, for just one guest, um, the work to be done is is kind of falls across a variety of different roles from like a host who greets you to a server who's going to interact with you primarily at the table to the bartenders and the cooks, uh, ultimately the other support staff uh, like a busser and a dishwasher. I mean, all those folks are going to contribute in some way to that guest experience. And so... Um, I hear you saying there's, you know, all of that work um, and the coordination of that work across those different roles, across those different people's people um, really needs to be understood. And through understanding more clearly the kind of guest expectations in terms of time, in terms of quality, in terms of individual preference, uh, and then conversely understanding the work to be done mm -hmm. uh, to deliver against those expectations all needs to be sort of studied and understood. Right. Uh, and in doing that, there's there's some tremendous value. So so it, at LX then, um, after the team spent some time studying those things, studying both the guest journey and the, uh, and the work to be done, um, what were some of the problems that they identified and, and uh, maybe experiments that, that were conducted? Yeah, so this is, this is where the hard part really comes into play is um, – it's difficult to break it down in the raw form, but then <clears throat> to observe and understand what actually happens and record and, and get a good understanding. <clears throat> and then 
begin to make decisions on that is uh, always a challenge because um, it, there's some discipline required to understand what you can control and can't. And um, so as you start working through all of that, you start to look at some of the legacy models, for example. Um, historically, what you do is uh, when you're a host, you provide the first two tables. Um, you basically uh, overseat a person. You overseat the checker. A checker is someone who is uh, the more experienced individual on the team who is um, going to check everyone at the end of the night to make sure that uh, everyone's doing their, their job. And so your and this reward is on the service staff, yes, a server, it's some like one of the, the experienced staff. server. So your reward is to be sat two tables uh, right off the bat, hmm. and um, so what that what that does is in effect, as you start to observe, is that they're given uh, could be given eight people to serve. So now they're forced to make bad choices when you start observing. Do I? Uh, spend time at one table or the other? Do I get them the drinks? Do I get their order? So mm -hmm. what ends up happening is that there's either delay, things get rushed, um, things aren't as coordinated as we talked about earlier as you would like them to be. Mm -hmm. So you start watching that and you're saying, wow, this is uh, interesting. It's uh, This legacy model is maybe not the right model. You also, as we started to observe, we noticed that um, if you can imagine people coming in one after another, um, the way that we had it set up is that the host walks them to the table. So if you can imagine someone comes into your restaurant and the host greets you, welcome, mm -hmm. and um, let me bring you to your table. Great. And as the host is walking you to your table, this another, another party shows up. <laughs> another party shows up. And they who's come saying, where, where is my greet? Who, do, who, who, who am I supposed to talk to here? <laughs> exactly. So in fact, we heard a story from that restaurant where a guest <clears> came in and uh, had that anxiety, not knowing who to talk to, and, and turned to a person nearby and said, you know, hi, I'm here to be to, 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 to eat at Legal Seafoods or whatever. Uh, and that other person happened to be another guest. <laughs> said, yeah. uh, Sorry, I don't work here. But it's, it's in the real. absence of a host, I mean, you come in, especially uh, that kind of a restaurant with maybe tourists yeah. coming in, going to the show. It's a big night. It's real. Uh, there's some anxiety. They're, they're just looking for somebody to <laughs> point the way, right. uh, whether they happen to actually work at Legal Seafoods or just be another diner right? Uh, in this case. So the, the importance of that observation is that it, there are a lot of aha moments. There's, there's, when you really slow down, and it's not typical of a restaurant business, and people in the restaurant businesses, it's just a lot of fast pace. And, and having the ability to slow down is always a challenge for us. But what you think is actually happening and what really is happening uh, can be very different. And mm -hmm. so you really have to learn from that. So we started to notice that, oh, wow, the, the poor host, thinking that they can handle some of these things, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of information for them to handle, mm -hmm. uh, not only trying to understand uh, welcoming a guest and, and smiling and, and being cordial, but also understanding what they need, what, what tables they should be sat at, how do I relay that information to somebody, and then if you start looking at the process, <clears throat> um, the guests sit down. How does someone know to bring them water when you start filling up this restaurant, right? When, when there's a lot of tables that are being sat. Mm. Uh, what's the indicator for someone to bring water? What's the indicator for a server to approach the table? How long does it take a server to approach the table? And we were seeing that sometimes it took 30 seconds and sometimes it took five minutes. 
And because the server was perhaps like we just talked about earlier, let's say the server was double set mm. and they just got eight orders of iced tea or drinks. So now um, the iced tea is in one area of the restaurant, the drinks are in another area of the restaurant. Mm. If I'm a server, I'm trying my best to get this, these items to the guest, uh, not to mention that if they ask for rolls or something else, uh, I'm all over the place and I have a lot to do. But as you start watching that, you're realizing that um, they're not able to do their work. So we have to rethink this, this legacy model of how we approach this, and that's what we begin to do. And so again, you're talking here, uh, you know, the, these various mm-hmm. things, p- pouring a glass of water. So there's certain jobs to be done. Uh, there's work, again, that is going to create that guest experience. And there's, there's coordination that really needs to be figured out uh, where a host... <clears throat> transitions responsibility for a party to a server uh, or to someone else and it sounds like you you were seeing that 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 coordination amongst roles that kind of seamless flow within the work uh wasn't really there and um and the guest suffers from that right Right. they're 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 thirsty and there's no water to drink uh they've got a question there's no one to answer it for them right Uh, they're eager to place their uh to order their tapas uh menu item uh, they're anxious that the show's about to start in 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All yeah. those things are kind of coming together. And um, but, but as you guys were, as the team was really observing that more closely, seeing that there were some issues, uh, what, what, what was a change or two that, that sure. the team made or experimented with uh, to address So, you know, the, the, the first challenge for us was to challenge the status quo. And so if you can think about the, the, the setup, and as we talked about when a guest comes in, uh, it requires um, three people to provide water, to provide uh, getting the guests to their seats, to provide the guests to get um, rolls, to someone taking an order. So it's not just one person. Mm-hmm. So that was the original model. Hmm. And so we said, hmm, why can't this be done in a different way? And so we started to explore different ways. And so if you can think about this, that, uh, we realized that one of the challenges was the host was not at the host stand. They were busy walking people to tables, and which, which created an environment where, as you, you had talked about earlier and you alluded to, a guest would come in and not be greeted by anybody. There's no one there to talk to. So how do we keep the host at the host stand? So one of the things that uh, we decided to try and experiment with was uh, we noticed that the servers are always in the kitchen. Um, in the kitchen, kind of in front of the area where the tickets, where there's a signal for them to act upon. Hmm. And we thought about, well, why wouldn't, what if we brought the servers up to the host stand? And they would relay when the guest comes in and welcomes, welcome the guest, and we would just pass them on to the server. And the server would take them to the table, and the server would get them their water. The server would ask them for their drink order. Mm. So it would be a little more seamless. That flow would be there. Um, makes sense, right? So and also the host stays the where host they're stays in their section. They don't have to walk to the <clears> table any longer. The, ho- the server immediately is given given responsibility for the party. Right. And kind of from, from there uh, does those most fundamental things, pours the glass of water, takes the order, uh, kind of just takes care of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another change, what we did was, why do servers have to have a section? Mm-hmm. 
and um, they could take the guest anywhere. Wherever the guest wants to go. Wherever they want to go. Because what does happen in the restaurant is that you bring them to one section and they say, oh, I don't want to be in that section. I want to be in another section. Mm -hmm. So really challenging the model. Um, why can't the server take them anywhere? And then they have that table. But what that allows you to do also is that you're not double seating people. Double seating um, servers. So this this old checker phenomenon you were describing <clears throat> earlier um, was identified as a problem. Yes. No, no one server can handle multiple tables at the same time. It's just impossible. Right. Uh, and so we want to remove that that problem uh, that servers have to contend with. Um, but but in order to do that, not knowing where guests are going to sat going to want to sit, I should mm -hmm. say, um, required a server to just be given a party, not necessarily knowing where that party was going to choose to sit, uh, which could result in um, a server having multiple parties, mm -hmm. but tables that aren't necessarily co-located. Right. Uh, they might be more spread out throughout the restaurant. I can imagine that that might cause some anxiety for a server. Definitely now does. I've got a couple of tables. They're not all nested together. Um has that proven itself to be a problem for these servers, or are they? Well, like any change, of course, right? You're you're challenging something that they're used to, and um, they're all individuals are going to find the reasons why it's not going to work. And this is where um, there was some concern of uh, with, with any server. It's like my tips are going to be different. Um, I'm all over the restaurant. I'm not going to be able to give good service. And so there's a there's a time period here where we we need to coach and we need to um, support and um, begin to talk about why this is this is something that this change could actually help us in the long run. Mm -hmm. And so th there was a period of about two weeks where um, uh, we we wanted to hear the concerns, we wanted to make the right adjustments, and um, I can say to you that we had a we had a um, report out yesterday. And even the staunchest um, opponents of this change uh, are now saying, wow, uh, we've had some busy, busy show nights. Because remember, this is all about that flat seating piece. Mm -hmm. um, and the comments have been, wow, um, that, that wasn't such a bad night. Hmm. And that feeling of just being overwhelmed um, has been leveled. And so um, it's been a, a real positive. On, on some of the things that we're measuring uh, with uh, missed orders, um, guest complaints. I can give you one example. So when we looked at our open table scores, mm -hmm. for over two years we were stuck at a 4-1 is the rating for us. And over since we've implemented this, we have been over the last 30 days, um, we are at a 4-4. No kidding. Yes. We have never moved it from 4-1 in over two years. And all of a sudden? All of a sudden. We're at a 4-4. We've been at a 4-4 for the last 30 days. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So really, I mean, this, um, this, this three-day exercise with the team, uh, starting first with <clears throat> maybe clarifying amongst the group what really are the fundamental, most basic, as you put it, raw um, components that a guest Mm -hmm. has expectations around um, what's the work to be done by who uh, in order to create that experience and then running some experiments uh, against those problems you observed like delays and 
beverages being served or um, servers being given two tables at the same time and mm -hmm. therefore having to kind of juggle uh, the needs of two different groups, which is just impossible to do effectively. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, that, that seems, it's, it's cool to hear that that's yeah. in fact being recognized, whether they know exactly why, but that guests seem to be uh, providing feedback through the open table score that, uh, that the service level, the overall experience is, is better than it was before. That's, right. that's cool. Yeah, and, and the other thing is that it, it creates other problems, right? As you start to chain, make changes, there's other things that crop up. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. one of them is, um, as we talked about, the, the server could be anywhere in the dining room, and they don't have stations anymore. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we're working on is that um, during the evening, um, um, you know, a manager or another server might need to run something for somebody, and it's at so-and-so's table. And, and it's and you want to know who that whose table is that. Hmm. So we're trying to figure out how we can um, do do a visual to let people know whose table that is. So which server has that table? Got it. And so um, we're trying to figure out ways of um, um, we, we've gone from having a uh, a chess piece of someone's name matches up to that table to writing <laughs> down if you're the you know, your person's name and write down the table number. So we're trying different experiments right now to see how mm -hmm. we can do that. So it's just it's more clear for people to understand. Well, so that's cool. So uh, so maybe to step to take a step back uh, from this specific uh, improvement work being done, experimentation happening at one of your restaurants, Legal mm -hmm. Crossing, um, and to just uh, maybe share a little bit about Legal Seafoods the sort of the business. Sure. So Legal Crossing is one of how many restaurants that 35. Legal operates? 35. 35. With eight different um, concepts within those 35 and Eight restaurants. different concepts. Legal Crossing being a unique concept. Mm -hmm. uh, in some other cases, there's concepts that are shared by by many restaurants. Yes. Sort of the, there's, a, I think, a traditional legal seafood yes. concept that... Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how many, how many restaurants follow that concept, but more than one. Right. Uh, and... <clears throat> So I guess, uh, so this activity at Legal Crossing um, was really their first, yes. if I understand correctly, their first exposure to um, to lean thinking, to mm -hmm. uh, looking at ways to improve kind of the restaurant performance from a guest perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but you guys, as a business, uh, have been experimenting for quite a while now. Um, how long has it been that... Uh, that you've, um, since you you yourself, I guess, or the business was introduced to right. lean thinking, and um, maybe tell tell us a little bit about that kind of so journey. The way I describe it is, it's um, what four years. Four years, okay. But I always say it's like a crepe. When you make crepes, you always tell people that the first one you throw away. The first year you're throwing away. Yeah, okay. I throw it away. <laughs> okay, so three years. It's the, a three, the reason it's a I throw it away is it's just a lot of. Here. You know, it's really counterintuitive for a lot of the things that we do. Hmm. in the restaurant business it's uh, uh, I alluded to slowing down you know the restaurant business is a business that um, you need your coffee filled I go get it uh, you need food I go get it uh, we make quick decisions and it's a it's kind of a bravado industry where what really attracted me to get into this industry was I was the bravado of it all it, yeah it, it was uh, you know I played sports all my life and it was very physical and I, was, I played football and, and I could never find something that I loved the physicality of it all and uh, I used to enjoy that 
rush and the physicalness of of the restaurant business and hmm. and so um you, you, it would almost be like going into battle and, and surviving it, right? And then whoever survived would be, you know, patted on the back, and that's the way it was. Yeah, the, imi- the, the image I have of that, I <clears throat> guess, is, is an image that I've picked up through watching television, yeah. uh, seeing some of that, uh, yeah. s- some of that intensity that's yeah. certainly physical, mental, seems pretty stressful. Right. Uh, and for you, that was actually part of the appeal. It attracted me, yeah. <laughs> and then as I grew more mature and said, you know, there's got to be a better way. And, uh, you know, being introduced to some of these lean concepts is, has made me think about, yes, there is a better way, definitely. Hmm. And um, so over the, those four years, we've begun to learn. And I can say that it probably resonates more in the kitchen at this point in time, uh, although we are getting stronger in, in understanding, as we just talked about, the, um, the experience of the guest in, in the front of the house and how that's involvement how that's get, we get involved with that. But um, the kitchen is somewhat like manufacturing. Hmm. And you're producing a product. Um, a physical product, yeah. in this case. Yeah, and you're serving <clears throat> it to the guests. So you start to begin to break things down and think about um, uh, how things get prepped just in time, uh, how much you're prepping, uh, what's the demand from the guest, mm-hmm. and um, you know what's the flow and velocity in the kitchen. And so there's a lot of money in that that part of our world, in the kitchen, from inventory to um, just the making of a very expensive perishable product that uh, requires high quality and requires um, a a lot of food safety involvement. And um, it requires a lot of skilled people Hmm. to produce this. Skilled people, so now we're talking about uh, just the, the, the labor and the cost associated with that. Yeah. And so the industry's changed, right? It's uh, a lot of industries have changed over time. And, and um, these kitchens require um, anywhere from 18 to 20 people to produce a product for you uh, when you come in and eat. Hmm. Um, and it requires a, some skill. And our challenge has been that, uh, uh, you know, unemployment is at its all-time low, um, uh, the labor pool is uh, much smaller. Um, the restaurant business is known as a business that uh, you work on weekends, you work nights. Uh, as we talked about earlier, it's a, a tough environment. It's hot. It's stressful. Uh, not everyone wants to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we have become challenged with finding skilled um, abundance of people. And so now we have to think differently. For some of us, for the for the former football players among among us, I guess uh, that that physical work uh, isn't a, isn't a negative at all. It's actually a positive. But uh, yeah. maybe for others, they they just as soon I don't know jump in their car, yeah. uh, turn on the Uber app, yes. uh, and go out there and make money in that way. Um, yeah. The hours they want to choose, sit, seated, exactly, <laughs> uh, listening to the radio, exactly, uh, whatever that may be. Um, well, we also heard I think recently some statistics around. Uh, just some of the changes in the industry as a whole. So I, I read something that says something like 60,000 uh, restaurants open every year in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, 50,000 close every year. So there's a net gain of 10,000 restaurants every year being added to the industry. Right. So certainly that, on the, on the one hand, that's creating more jobs, uh, which is a good thing. But if the 
I guess the supply of labor for those jobs isn't isn't keeping up with that rate, which my understanding is that's in fact right. what's happening, that, that, that the supply doesn't meet the demand. Right. Um, that can certainly present a challenge uh, for any any restaurant, yes. uh, especially a business like yours with more than 30 restaurant locations. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a, a real challenge for us. And if you just look at, um, even think about yourself when you have options and, and things that you do to, when, you, when you need to go to lunch or go to dinner, um, there are options from the grocery store to um, getting home delivery to um, uh, other restaurants, right? There's different levels of restaurants that you can go to. And um, they're all in demand of people to run their restaurants. Mm. And so that's a, a big challenge for us. So how do we approach it? And so we've learned some things about um, it's not necessarily um, – not needing as many people, but it's more about how do we um, meet the demand of the guest in a way that is uh, efficient and also more humane, I guess, if you will, for the the person working. And what I mean by that is we talked a little bit about observation and we talked a little bit about understanding the work. And I think previous to before we were introduced to Lean, I, I think there was a mentality more of just do it. And as we become more proficient in slowing down and thinking a little slower and understanding what's required to do the work and really understand it and create um, job instructions and to coach and develop people on how to do things correctly in a better way to improve the work that we're doing, the environment becomes uh, much more stable. Uh, there's more purpose for each worker to understand what they should and shouldn't be doing. Uh, it allows us to begin to manage more instead of firefight. Mm. And for me, that is one of the more exciting things is is not just on a financial side, but I get excited that we have individuals that um, um, are learning and understanding how to maybe a- approach their work and they're starting to understand it better, and they start to get confidence, and they start to feel like there's a reason why they're doing this work, as opposed to, I'm just making a widget. Um, I'm just here to show up, and I don't really understand what my future is gonna be like. It's, it provides a, a real purpose for them, and that's, that's inspiring for me. Um, and it helps us to get better and improve things for the restaurant. So they're finding purpose in what exactly? They're finding purpose mm-hmm. in um, the work, sort of the, the the work that they're doing to provide great experiences, great service, great food for the guests. They're finding purpose through uh, the study of that work and the improvement of that work, or both. Well, I think there's different levels. I mean, from the management side, they're <clears throat> they're getting closer to the work to understand it, so that they can manage better. Uh, from the cook level, uh, they are beginning to know what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. As bef- where before it would be catch a catch can. Um, it would be uh, I'm going to do it this way because I just want to make sure that I don't get overwhelmed. Hmm. So in, in the restaurant business, right, you're 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 asked to make sure that you don't run out of product, 
you're at and, and we, we, we talked about a little bit earlier about being flat sap as we call it or rushed mm-hmm. right so when you're rushed um, you're trying to survive and so it be, you're somewhat on an island you're you're you need survival techniques I need to hoard things um, when I say hoard things it's like I need to produce a lot um, so that I don't run out I don't I'm not necessarily going to share everything uh, I'm going to grab all my towels and I'm going to hide them somewhere so no one else takes them That's from me and so th- it becomes this uh, survival mode if you will and that's that but survival is an individual. So you're really kind of on your own. You get yeah. you come into the kitchen, you get assigned to a station or whatever, and it's like, all right, uh, here's your island. Here's your station, uh, and you're on your own. Don't and run out of food. Don't 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 screw this up. Yeah. Uh, you'll hear from me if you screw it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, just sort of leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, do your thing. Prep up your station. Prep it up. Fi- find your knives. Uh, find your towels, whatever, yeah. uh, and we'll see you at the end of the shift. Good luck to you. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that's shifting. I, I can imagine, on the one hand, the chefs are digging into the work of these line cooks, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of neat, I guess, that there's maybe an appreciation that the chefs are gaining uh, for the, the work of a line cook. On the other hand, uh, I can imagine from a cook's perspective that might be kind of an intimidating thing. Uh, here's my chef. Here's my chef, rather, uh, poking around in my station, yes. uh, paying attention to my work. That's never happened before. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? Am I in trouble? Did I do something wrong? Right. I don't know. Is, is has that been part of this experience? And sure. uh, how, how's that? Definitely being part of it. And I think it's important to allude that it's not easy, right? It's um, any kind of change is not easy. It's um, and as we talked about, it's territorial. This is my station. Don't touch it. Um, this is how I'm going to set it up. And uh, I've had many conversations um, with cooks, and it's 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 interesting when you start looking at the analysis, for example, of uh, why are you prepping so much? Well, we go through a lot. And then you start asking the questions of, like, what's a lot? And uh, let me show you what we really go through. Let's just use an example of, um, I don't know, tomatoes. and whatever the tomatoes are used on, you can say, well, on a busy Saturday night, you will sell no more than 25. This is the history of the restaurant in the last busy year. Busy Saturday night, bu- busiest night of the week, maybe Saturday, here right. we are, and uh, we're going to really only sell this many tomatoes right. in this case. Right, and so just using tomatoes as an example, and, mm-hmm. and they will cut 40. So there's some security there. Well, they're, on their, well, they're on their own. <laughs> they're on their own. <laughs> yeah, so, so why wouldn't they, really? Exactly. And so you don't blame them for that. And so there's, you ask, is that, um, is that difficult to get them to change their mindset? Absolutely mm-hmm. it is. It's a, it's a series of discussions. It's a series of experiments and trying and um, not just really ripping it from them, but, but just really trying to create an environment where they're seeing the benefits of these things. So that takes time. And uh, it takes some tenacity on the manager's side, not to lose sight of it, to mm-hmm. stay disciplined with it. Mm-hmm. But over time, as you begin to show them uh, a better way, and it's not always the best way. It's also it's important to get them involved in it, mm-hmm. because sometimes you'll, you'll when you'll observe, you'll see you'll ask the question of, let's see, you sell the shrimp and garlic. Um, this is like your number one seller. Why is it on the bottom shelf in the back? The ingredients that you use for it. Why would furthest away from, from furthest your... away from the work uh, on the stove? And why wouldn't you put it up 
you know, front and center. And sometimes it's an aha moment of like, wow, we just always did it that way. And that's mm-hmm. the way it has been. I never really thought of it that way. And as you start making these small incremental changes, they begin to, um, they begin to go, wow, that's, um, it, it has made my work a little better. So we have this one example of, um, we always share it. It's the seafood casserole for us. Mm. And we had been doing some experiments, and it was really based off of a larger problem that we were having in this one restaurant was, um, uh, we call them ticket times. And ticket times are when a, uh, a server puts in the order from the guest, and we monitor um, when that, how long it takes for that food to be cooked and put in the, the, the server's hands. To be served to the guests, so we monitor that. That call ticket. That ticket ticket time. Yes. So okay. those ticket times, we were monitoring, and we were noticing that um, our standard is uh, 17 minutes, and uh, we were over that. Fifth, uh, actually, it's like 15 to 17, but we were we were looking at 15 at this point in time, and uh, we were noticing that around 70 percent of the time we weren't hitting our goal, so we have a problem, and and as we begin to start looking at the problem. We realized that 41% of the time it was coming from one station. So then we started looking at the station, and we realized that uh, it was the majority of the time coming from five items, and one of the biggest culprits was the seafood casserole. Seafood casserole. Yes. Sounds delicious. And, which changed our lives, actually. <laughs> it sounds funny, but uh, you know, you hear this term that I always heard from Jim Womack about inch wide, mile deep, and it makes it resonates with me because it's, you, know, you look at a seafood casserole, and, and seafood casserole has changed the way that we operate hmm. by understanding it. And so what does that mean? It means that we started to look at the seafood casserole, and uh, we built a work story around the seafood casserole. So we went to go observe. Let's see what's happening with the seafood casserole. And when we started to really look, it was just painful. Like no one humanly possible could make this seafood casserole and also do all the other things that are expected of you. That's right. They're not just making a seafood casserole in right. this case. They've got a bunch of other orders. Right. Trying to so prepare. you think of that tack time and they're just, um, the seafood casserole required, um, it has like five or six different components. And it requires going in the oven, out of the oven, putting like sherry on it, putting butter on it, putting it back in the oven, taking it back out. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're doing all these other things. So you would have to find a superstar. And that's how we approached it, was we started looking at the person going, they're no good, they're just, no good. We just need better cooks. Yeah, we need better cooks, better cooks. In this, in this context of a labor labor shortage. Right. <laughs> so what's the matter with the cook? This cook's no good. We need to get another one. Let's get another one. And so we were just creating our own problems mm-hmm. when we realized that as we were, we forced ourselves to build a work story. How long does it take to do every component and, and tell a story? And it was painful to do it because it was horrible. And we realized that, all right, well, what, what can we do to make the work better, to reduce the so many touching and, and to, so many things that have to be done? And at the end of the day, we figured out how to do it by just um, actually making it for that cook and delivering this product to them just in time so that they could just put it in the oven. So prepping prepping a little of it beforehand, mm-hmm. uh, before the order comes in, um, so that the actual uh, final preparation time was, was less. Yes. Um, 
that seems so. So I'll I'll, I'll bring the lean, uh, lean lean perspective into the into this, and to take something that was made to order, and transition it to a prepped item. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're prepping beforehand. That 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 would extend the lead time. Yeah, uh, we might say, mm-hmm. uh, which seems kind of maybe contrary to right. to the lean perspective. So how how does that how did that jive? Would, if if you're going to prep it beforehand. Were you prepping it, prepping a whole bunch of it uh, early in the morning? Were you right. prepping it at a different time? Well, it forced us to look at the analytics of it and understand it. And as we observed, we noticed, if you can imagine, we talked about this this cook um, having to do so many things at once and add components to this dish. So what do you think they did? When they were making this dish, they would miss items. They would put too much of something. Um, we were we were seeing that the dish was inconsistent, so we began to analyze how much do we go through. Um, could we redistribute this work? Could we redistribute the work to someone that could make five at a time, already made up? But don't forget that it's marinating. Um, we realized that it took more machine time, but the flavor was better, mm. the quality was better, and so. So in fact, in this case, some small extension of the lead time anyway uh, has a has a positive effect on quality. It did. More time for those ingredients to marinate with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of nice. But still, there's the risk, I guess, that if we prep it too far in advance, mm-hmm. that could have a could have the the could. opposite effect on quality. So how how has that been? You mentioned making five at a time. Mm-hmm. How many would you sell in a given night? Maybe 50, 60? You could so sell only 40 to 50. A, okay. Yeah. So to only make five at a time, that's not going to last you for very long. Is that is that intentional? Well, it's 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 a scenario where um, we just don't want to get too far ahead. And, and if, mm-hmm. if you start doing 10, then all of a sudden you start doing 20, and then all of a sudden you start to realize, oh, you only sold 10, and now we have product that's left over. So uh, it's important for us to stay on top of it as much as we can so that it's not we're not overproducing and we're not throwing things away. So that's different than I guess that from what I understand is the more traditional way that prep happens. So I hear you describing mm-hmm. uh, we're going to make five. Uh, maybe as those start to get used, we might make five more, but we're going to continue to make prep, in this case seafood casseroles, throughout the night. Yes. As, you know, okay. Pretty close to just in time, not exactly, but pretty close to just in time. Mm-hmm. We're going to leverage a little bit of that time for good marination to take place. Uh, my understanding of prep in in a traditional restaurant environment would be, or kitchen, uh, would be that all that prep would be done pretty early in the morning. So we're recording this at uh, whatever not nine a.m. Oh yeah, and there's a bunch of restaurants right now that aren't open for business, but in fact have staffed kitchens mm-hmm. that are preparing all of the food that they'll. Uh, that they think they'll sell during lunch and dinner tonight. That, that's the traditional way. Yes. So you're, you're describing something kind of different than that. Yeah, there's definitely a change because, um, and, and still some of our restaurants still have this challenge, is um, make enough to get through a couple of days. A couple of days. Yeah. Hmm. Um, because the, the, the thought process is you don't want to run out, right? So we have to have a buffer. And so that will always be the challenge for us is is to make sure that um, uh, we get a better understanding of not only the labor that you're putting into that, right? So that's a, another concern is that 
you're putting labor towards something that's not being sold. And so mm. what's that labor going towards? Uh, could that labor be used in other ways uh, so that you're providing a product that's just in time? So this, is, this has been our mission right yeah, now yeah. Of, of getting people to understand that because uh, the counter argument is, well, I'm just making this, but we'll use it eventually. And so I'll, I'll have this. Yes. And so I'll have discussions with them about, um, A, the labor that you're putting into it could be used somewhere else. And B is that uh, now that it's sitting on the shelf, it's not being sold. It's a waste. Um, there's a potential for it to go bad. Well, it's sitting a on a shelf, so I need to have a shelf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I got a bunch of shelves that things are sitting on that yeah. we may or may not sell. Right. You need a bigger walk-in, you know, all of those things. So it's really uh, the, the whole idea of the seafood casserole has, has made us think about that. Uh, from the dish room to uh, what do we need in, in, in uh, uh, refrigeration mm. to what do we need as far as equipment. And so in this competitive landscape where you got 10,000 new restaurants being added every year, mm-hmm. uh, and so everyone's fighting for guests on the one hand, uh, yeah. we've talked already, they're fighting for labor on the other hand, uh, and just with that competition, I mean, that, that's got to put strains on the business uh, where the costs of labor, uh, of food, of equipment, of layout itself um, can be really, really daunting, I guess. Right. So I hear you talking now the, the seafood casserole example uh, of a way that inventory uh, is being brought down. Uh, we're prepping in smaller batches, so we're less prone to the risk of throwing food away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to sell the seafood casserole we make. Uh, so that's good. That, that obviously, there's some uh, cost savings, I guess, that, that go along with that. Um, but then also this so the, this labor question, uh, you're, you're mentioning, let's not pay for cooks to prepare things that we're not going to sell mm-hmm. and that, that that's easy to do if we're prepping far in advance of actual sales um, but then also this a- activity of digging into their work uh, studying building a work story as you put it for seafood mm-hmm. casserole um, and then previously you mentioned kitchens in some cases operating with 18 to 20 cooks mm-hmm. how is this uh this approach of really digging in and studying the work, and you've used the concept a couple of times, maybe just to explain this uh, tact mm-hmm. uh, for those that may not know. But I think we're just referring here to the rate at which guests are entering the restaurant or the rate at which orders are being placed. Exactly. Um, but anyway, so as you've been digging into the concept of tact in your restaurants and digging into the work, uh, the chefs are. I hear you saying working kind of side by side with their cooks to really mm-hmm. understand the work, the timing of it all. Um, anyway, for a, for a kitchen that operates with 18 to 20 cooks, maybe traditionally, um, has this focus on studying the work, improving the work, redistributing the work, as you've, as you've said, mm-hmm. has that had some, uh, some positive effect on, on the, you know, the number of cooks that end up being required as it pertains to this this kind of macro issue that, you know, we're just having a hard time staffing our kitchens. Sure. Uh, any restaurant, a legal seafoods restaurant or any restaurant, that's, that's a challenge. Yeah. It's, um, you know, this, it, I think of a, a few restaurants and a, f- a few scenarios where, for example, we have this restaurant that um, is seasonal. Mm-hmm. So um, I think they use... Lots of seasonality here in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. 
it's on the water and it's um you know so in the winter time it's it's not as busy as it is in the summer and the summer it just actually explodes and it's super busy and um so we 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 were on this journey of figuring out in this in the off season in the winter time to begin to start digging in and understanding what's what work is needed and you know if you if, if you approach it in less of a linear uh, way and you think about all of the effects that um, a decision has on um, all aspects of, of the kitchen so for example you start thinking about the islands that we talked about and the amount of prep that's needed um, and the way that, that the survival mentality is for the cooks. And all of that work that's put into it and it's not being sold to the guest. Well, what if we started to reduce that down? And what if we had someone to support them, like a lineback, for example? Like we all know about a barback. A barback, They support right. the bartender. Well, what if there's an individual that supports the cooks? And so they support them in not only just in time prep, but they also support them with all of the different small wares that they need during the night, um, all the different replenishment that they need so they're not leaving the line. Um, essentially, a cook could just show up if it's done correctly just before service and begin to start cooking. And you start cooking. Their station's prepped up for them already. It's stocked with the equipment, the supplies, mm-hmm. the tools they need. Uh, and that's done by a line back, you yeah. called it. A line back. So um, it, essentially, let's say I run out of salmon when I'm cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I have certain indicators that can just let somebody know that I need more salmon. And the salmon shows up. Salmon I don't have to up. leave the line. I can continue to cook. I'm no longer on my own. I'm uh, not I've on got, my own. I've, I've got another inhabitant to my island. Right. So I'm uh, being supported. Um there's only one person or two people going into the walk-in. So mm-hmm. think about that when I say that it's it's more than just this linear thought process. It's, oh, the, the walk-in's organized. Uh, the walk-in can actually tell me a story of what I need to order. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have to count the food. Oh, well, what does it feel like when I have to count the food in on an inventory when there's a messy walk-in versus one that's Clean. It's organized. You only got a organized. couple people going in and out, interacting oh. with it. It stays more organized. Right. No longer is it two hours to count. It's 20 minutes. So we're saving time. And as you start building all of that time that we're saving, um, you start to realize that you, you're redistributing the work and you don't need as many people. So we, we were on this journey with this, this restaurant. And our goal was um, the off-season um, amount of cooks that we have, can we do it in the busy season with the same amount? With the same amount. So you've got however many cooks you need during the slow months and even when things pick up. So I think in this case, they, they grow sales by like two, three times. Oh, yes. Right? I mean, it's it's exponentially greater. Yes. So let's say 14 cooks in the off season. Okay. And they usually use 20 to 22 cooks in the busy during season. the busy season. It's and so time. we've been able to keep it at that 14-cook level. Even during the busy season. Yeah. Not to mention that the management, we used to have four managers, and now we have two, a chef and a sous chef. So so probably easier in this case to manage a kind of well-organized system, production system, mm-hmm. sort of kitchen operating system, uh, than trying to manage eight 
what you said, 20 to 22 islands. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I need four managers to manage 22 islands. I, I need wrote. two managers maybe to manage yes. one kind of cohesive, well-designed operating right. system. Which That's goes back to the purpose that I was talking about. If, if each individual understands their purpose, um, there's less firefighting. There's less um, reworking. Um, it's interesting. We had, I had this discussion with a chef. He took a vacation. He's taken many vacations uh, during this time period. Uh, and previously, if someone took a vacation, it was, I need an extra manager to cover my vacation. Now it's become more seamless hmm. because everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing. It's kind of a system uh, now. Knows yeah. how they, what, why we're working on the system, what we're working against, what we're working for. Um, it's, it's been really... Um, it's been transformational for us. And so it's inspirational as well. I mean, how can we introduce this to other restaurants that get it? Yeah. Um, it's not easy because not everyone necessarily sees it. It takes time. It has to be a lot of wins. Uh, I think when you're challenging the status quo, uh, it doesn't always work seamlessly. Mm. So, I mean, people might uh, uh, latch on to what failed because you're, gonna, you're going to fail quite a bit. And if you can look through that, you can really find some 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 real, really transforming, uh, inspirational, and, and and groundbreaking ideas. That's pretty amazing. So on the you know we started our conversation talking about the guest experience in the most fundamental way, right? They mm -hmm. want to drink something, they want to eat something, they want to have a seat. <laughs> yeah. uh, they want somebody to say hi uh, when they walk through the door. Um, and so the server, obviously takes responsibility for that. And you guys are experimenting with ways to help the server be even more successful uh, at delivering service that a guest appreciates. Uh, but then this kind of more recently, we're talking now about just this, like uh, the kitchen itself, right. uh, which clearly has a large role to play in that guest experience that we want to create. Um, and the ways that you're finding uh, through kind of studying that work, reorganizing that work, uh, that are bringing down some of your food waste. That's mm -hmm. a pretty exciting thing. So costs have to be falling in the, uh, accordingly. Uh, but then also, I don't know, forgive the phrase, like right-sizing uh, the number of cooks that are actually required to run a successful kitchen right? Uh, to deliver good quality. Uh, and it sounds like the way that that's coming about is uh, in, a, in kind of a collaborative way between management and, and the the frontline cooks, servers who are actually doing the work. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you seem to be describing that there's some, like really, some good collaboration happening yes. uh, between management and frontline personnel. Which in the past, maybe uh, with everyone on their individual island, mm -hmm. uh, that collaboration, that teamwork, you could say, uh, maybe wasn't such a prominent feature of, of of the restaurants. Well, I think one of the biggest changes for us is that. Um, we talk about uh, focusing on the process, and, and um, we always would focus on the individual. And you know, I alluded to that with the seafood casserole. Is, right. is you know, we just need a better cook. The cook's not good. And um, you know, what, what did where did we put them, in and what process did we put them in so that they weren't going to be successful? And we we're starting to change the way that we look at things. We're, we're thinking differently on what problems we need to solve. We're thinking differently about being harder on the process and, instead of the person. Um, we're, we're starting to understand the, the right way to begin to look at our business. And so that's, that's important to us. 
Well, this has been cool, man. Uh, you know, I've, we've, uh, I guess we've kind of known each other now for four or five years uh, from the moment that we first met when uh, you were, you, you, you were uh, welcoming me into your, into your, your business. Uh, but it's been neat, you know, to get to know you, to get to know the business, um, uh, many of the chefs involved, many of the general managers, many of the other members of the, your executive team, uh, and the kind of willingness to try some new ideas, uh, some crazy ideas, some ideas that come from this thing we call lean thinking, mm-hmm. uh, has just been really cool. Um, and it sounds like, you know, a few years into let's say, Legal Seafood's lean transformation, uh, it sounds like you've made some discoveries on kind of all aspects of the business, uh, certainly on the value side. It seems yeah. like guests by an open table score of 4.4 4, yeah. <laughs> uh, versus a previous best of 4.1, guests seem to be appreciating uh, the work that, that you guys are putting in to uh, improve, to make things better. Right. Uh, and there seems to be some appreciation on the part of management, chefs, general managers, uh, and the cooks that, as you put it, I think that's pretty neat. Like, there's greater purpose here uh, that we're contributing to, whether that's the purpose inherent in preparing a meal for another human to consume, which has pretty, is a pretty meaningful thing to do just on its own, um, but then also find finding better ways to do that. Right. Um, and... Uh, Anyway, uh, cool to hear some specific examples from you, uh, to have been in a position to kind of observe uh, that journey over the last several years, and uh, we'll be excited to sit down another time, uh, hear some more stories, uh, ch- yeah. check check back in on Legal Crossing and kind of where they are in terms of uh, enhancing the guest experience, uh, improving how food is being prepared. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty cool idea of taking these principles and applying it to the restaurant business, and um, we feel like we're pioneers, and we feel like um, there's something to it. Yeah. And we are inspired by the fact that we think we can change the model. and uh, change, the model. Ch- change the restaurant model. The restaurant model through this type of thinking. And I can tell you with, um, with my team, the way that we approach things is very different now than it was four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk differently. We, we solve problems differently. Um, uh, we approach the business differently, mm. and we feel like we see things much more clearly. Very cool. Because we ask the right questions, we think about why why are we doing it this way? What's the purpose of doing this? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it becomes more clear for us. We think we can be more effective that way. What an idea that we can change the model with what I hear you describing is creating better guest experiences, uh, a better worker experience, whether you're on the front line or right. in management. Uh, and some of the business results that that seems to be translating into. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, why not? Right. <laughs> uh, why not carry around a belief that uh, that this this new approach, maybe uh, based on lean thinking, uh, is a way to, to to more effectively run restaurants? Right. Uh, that'd be a, that'd be a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Um, I agree. Well, hey man, thanks for uh, thanks for sitting down with me. Thanks for having uh, me. Here's our first little podcast uh, <laughs> attempt. And uh, anyway, uh, we'll look forward to sitting down again sometime down the road uh, and hearing about, I don't know, seafood casserole 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, all right, cool, man. Thanks. Thanks. If you have a show idea, feedback, or a question you'd like to ask someone in the Lean community, send that into pod, P-O-D, at lean.org. Once again, that's pod, 
at lean.org. Thanks for listening.